2: What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense brought to you by Radio.com. Of course, you can listen to it on your Radio.com sports app and wherever you get podcasts. I am your host, Elliot Shore Parks. And as you know, I'm lucky enough every week to co host this with the one and only Brian Baldinger. He's got the Baldy Breakdown headband on right now. Looks like he's got the maybe the uh, breast cancer month going on there. Yes. So he's looking to fly. What's going on, Baldy? How you doing? I'm good,
1: Elliot. You know, I mean, this is like intense now. I mean, we're, we're almost out of October here. And John Madden said this a long time ago, Elliot, to me, and he said it on broadcast. He said, the season doesn't start until there's a frost on the pumpkin. And I woke up this morning. It was like 37 degrees. It was almost a frost. So I'm thinking, you know, the season's about ready to start. It's about ready for some of these teams to, like, make a decision whether they want to be playoff pretenders or contenders right now.
2: Yeah, well, someone should tell the Eagles that the season started, because I'm here in Philadelphia, and as you mentioned, uh, it's definitely getting chilly. I know you're on the East Coast as well, right around here, And but the, even though it's getting chilly, like the seat is hot for the Eagles. I mean, everyone watched that Sunday night game, Eagles versus Cowboys, and that's where I wanted to start, because I think when you look at the NFC, and the Saints are near the top of that uh, conference as well, the 49ers won again. But the Eagles and the Cowboys are two of the premier franchises in that conference, and two teams that were expected to compete for a Super Bowl this year. I mean, both teams had Super Bowl aspirations. The Cowboys coming off their playoff uh, appearance last year with a playoff win, and the Eagles, viewed by many, to have one of the best rosters in the NFL. So let's talk about the Eagles to start. I'm here in Philadelphia. I was down at the Eagles facility yesterday. This team is a mess right now. They're a straight-up mess. I mean, they're bad on defense. They're bad on offense. The coaching hasn't been great. But before we get into the X's and O's, because I know you've watched all the Eagles' snaps, you've posted some great videos about them, you're a former player. I wanted to talk to you about the anonymous quotes that have been happening in Philadelphia. So uh, Jocelyn Anderson of ESPN, one of the best reporters uh, in the business, cited uh, someone from the Eagles. She didn't cite if it was a player or somebody, basically saying Carson needs to check the ball down more. Now... Kind of a silly criticism in a way. But that aside, what's your take on anonymous quotes coming out of the locker room? And this is the third time in a year this has happened to Carson Wentz.
1: Well, I mean, it's it, it keeps happening. So there's, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So yeah. There's something there. Somebody's not happy with the way Carson's playing. And I don't think it's somebody that's not playing. I mean, I think it's somebody that's on the field that's, you know, voicing their opinion. And there are. You know, I mean, there's one thing about whispers and anonymous quotes. I mean, every obviously, nobody's going to put their name on it because nobody wants that sort of jarring that's going to happen as soon as their name gets attached. So nobody's going to put their name on it, and everybody wants that, but that's not going to happen. But if you go back and you watch these games, Elliot, I mean, Carson's got to play better. I mean, I don't yeah. know what it is. I mean, there's Dallas is a zone team. Uh, They don't make any secrets about how they play defense. Um, They rely on great speed and disciplined play and a front four that gets after quarterbacks, and they did on Sunday night. But, you know, if if you're playing against these zones and somebody, Alshon, Ertz, Aguilar, pick a name, and they're curling, you know, at some point into the zone, the ball's got to come out hot, and it's got to come out with anticipation. But if you wait, it's too late. And there's hesitation for whatever reason. I mean, Carson sees these things. Um Doug Peterson sees this. And I'm not saying it's it's all on Carson because there's a lot of parts of this offense that don't make sense. They don't have answers for things that teams do that probably they didn't look at on Wednesday or Thursday during the week. And, you know, whether it's missing a site adjustment, a blitz, or whatever it is, I mean there's things that aren't getting done within the offense. But if we just address Carson, he's got to play better. He's got to get the ball out of his hands. got to play with better anticipation. And I don't know if it's about a chemistry with certain players versus other players. But it doesn't matter. I mean, you got to throw to the open guy. That's what the offense is. And I don't believe he has favorites. Um, you know, if you look at what Aaron Rodgers is doing, he'll throw to Dan Vitale. He'll throw it to, you know, uh, Geronimo Allison. I mean, he's going to throw it to the open guy. And that's what Carson has to do. But he's got to throw the ball with better anticipation and just an observation about Carson. Everything looks like it's hard for him right now. Nothing just looks relaxed or easy. You watch all the games. You Mm -hmm. know what it's like, even in warmups, just You know what it's like when quarterbacks just get into a rhythm and the ball just comes out, and, man, it's just boom, boom, boom. And it looks easy. It never looks easy for Carson. And I feel like he's just wait. He's wound, and that's the way he's built. But he's wound too tight, and I don't think it serves him well to be wound tight and to be like this explosive, incredible athlete. It doesn't serve him well right now. There are times when he has to get out of a jam. He's got to get out of a jam. All quarterbacks get faced in that situation, but he he's got to just relax a little bit more and rely. He's got a he's got a gun for an arm. He's got good mechanics when he sets his feet. But, you know, I mean, he still has a lot to learn. I mean, weight transfer um, isn't there. He's all upper body a lot of times. He's trying to muscle these throws. And it goes back to my point that he's just wound too tight. And it's not a good way to play the position.
2: Yeah, and the interesting thing about Carson, and he's one of the more interesting quarterbacks in the league when you look at the trajectory of his career. He comes out the number two overall pick. Has a stellar rookie year. I know he's seven and nine as a rookie, but I thought he showed some serious potential that rookie year. Like they outplayed what I thought they would be. 2017, we all know how good he was. But since he's torn that ACL, like a lot's gone wrong for Carson. The Nick Foles obviously winning the Super Bowl, and then last year he's five and six. Nick Foles comes in, saves the season, and the defense started playing better. But Foles was that spark. They go to the playoffs, they win a playoff game, they almost beat New Orleans. So. Here in Philadelphia, I think sometimes people are afraid to bring up the Nick Foles thing, but it's an obvious comparison when you look at how they played with Foles versus how they play with Wentz, and I think it bothers Wentz. You mentioned how wound up he looks and just how nothing seems to come easy to him. I do think he feels that pressure every time he takes the field of like, my backup won a Super Bowl and then won a playoff game last year, and then he has to go out and let's be honest the team's not playing well. The offense is averaging 15 points a game over the last 3 weeks. The defense has been a disaster, but this is an offensive league. Like I think the rules are designed for the offense to succeed. So as much as I want to blame the offense the the defense for the Eagles struggles, last week they they fumble it twice or yeah, fumble it twice inside their own 40-yard line I think give the Cowboys an easy 14-nothing lead. They only scored 10 points in the whole game. Like I get that win-loss isn't the end-all be-all of quarterback stats a lots go a lot goes into it the defense the coaching all those things but at the end of the day the best quarterbacks win. I was flying back from uh, Dallas talking to a, an Eagles fan on the plane and McNabb is a really controversial figure around here for some odd reason even though he was incredibly successful and the guy said you know for as much as Donovan irritated me, I ended a lot more Sunday's happy than I did sad like Donovan won games for all of his flaws. Mm-hmm. Carson is 8-10 and in his last 18 starts. Like, that is a disturbing trend to me. And when you look around the league, if you talk to people around the league and you just break the quarterbacks down, I think everybody would agree Carson is one of the better quarterbacks that has some of the more higher ceiling. But when are we going to see that? That's my thing with Carson. Like, when are we going to see these great plays turn into wins? And I think the reason they're not is because of what you said – is he's slow to release out of the pocket, and honestly, his accuracy is not great. And the play I wanted to ask you about, because a lot of people talked about it this week. So the Eagles, the game's already over, but the uh, Carson rolls out of the pocket. He Takes launches the, shot the ball to Nelson Aguilar. Down. Yeah, he's got he's got mm-hmm. Nelson beat. Nelson has his man beat by I would say two or three yards. He's wide open. Before I tell you what I saw there, I want to know what you saw in that play.
1: Well, I mean, what the the terminology that Doug Peterson uses in that situation when there's no free safety and the receiver is running, you know, diagonally across the field, the way Aguilar was, is throw the ball to an open patch of grass. That's the way Doug describes it. When you don't have to worry about a safety over the top, put it up there and let the receiver go get it. I thought Carson did that. He did get hit on the play, but he released it before he got hit. So he didn't see, like he said, he did not see the end result of the play. And he said when he, re- when he released it, he thought it was going to be a completion. And to be honest with you, I-, I thought Nelson Aguilar could have laid out for the ball. I don't know, really, if he did, if he's going to catch it, get his hands on it. I don't know. There was some reason he did not lay out for it. And, you know, I thought it was an effort thing. But, like I said, like I, I think it could have been a better throw. I mean, there was a chance for a better throw than that, where the receiver yeah. can really just go get it. And I've seen Carson make that throw many times. Um, that was probably a strength of Nick Foles, put a lot of air under it, let the receiver go get it. We saw that to Alshon Jeffrey. We saw it in the Super Bowl uh, a number of times. There is times to drive the ball and really stick it. And then there's times to just float it and let the receiver go get it, especially when you don't have a threat of a safety over the top that could come and interfere with it. And so I just thought, you know, there's there's a throw there that really should be completed. It just should be.
2: Yeah, and I mean this year, according to Pro Football Focus, he's thirty-third in the league in adjusting completion percentage. So that talks about that takes into account drops, spikes, throws away, all those things. So as good as Carson is, and the weird thing about Carson is he's best on like third and eight when the play breaks down. And he's he can get out to the outside and he'll make those plays. And you say, okay, that is why they paid him $106 million. But the reason they're in those 3rd and eight situations a lot is because his accuracy is not great. His decision-making has left a lot to be desired. So I think Carson needs to play better. But to stick on the Eagles for another minute, I want to know what you see from Doug Peterson. Because like Carson, Doug is viewed near the top of his profession. In fact, Doug is probably higher up on the list of coaches than Carson is on quarterbacks just because of what he's done. I mean, he's one of the better, in my opinion, one of the better offensive minds in the league or at least gain that reputation, but I don't think the last four to five games has been some of his best work. When you look at why the Eagles offense is struggling, and they have Zach Gertz, they have you know uh, Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar, Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, no Deshaun Jackson, for sure, that is an issue. But when you just look at the play designs early on in games and how creative they are, it's been staggering to me the last two weeks to see the Cowboys be more creative on offense and the Vikings be more creative on offense. What are you seeing from Doug Peterson and the offensive coaching staff?
1: Well, I don't think that creativity is definitely the mark of what a good coach should be. I think there are basics that just need to be done. The Eagles don't have answers, good answers, for things that the other teams do. For example, Thursday, uh, you know, Sunday night. Um, they have some success running the football in the inside zone with Jordan Howard. And the, an, the, the Cowboys' answer was to move Jeff Heath to the line of scrimmage and put him there. And just either discourage the Eagles from running it, um, again, because of an extra man up at the line of scrimmage, and force them to throw, or to see how the Eagles adjust. So the Eagles' adjustment was to take Nelson Aguilar and move him in behind, basically behind Lane Johnson. And just kind of dig Jeff Heath out. Well, all he did was get in the way. It was a disaster. And the play broke down. And I thought, you know, you're having success running the ball. The Cowboys know it. This is why they did this. And I thought the Eagles' adjustment to putting Nelson Aguilar in there was the worst adjustment. It yeah. didn't help the play at all. And he's not hes not a guy that is a, is, is a physical guy. He's not like, I'm just going to throw a name out there. Adam Thielen is a good blocker. Cooper Cup is a good blocker. Uh, Robert Wood's a good blocker in that situation where they've just got to basically shield, not get in the way of the of the play, but not let Heath make the play. That's all you got to really – and Aguilar isn't just – he's just not that guy. But that was their answer. Another case in point, the Cowboys on a basic slot blitz. They bring Jordan Lewis off the slot, 27. Okay. So they bring Jordan Lewis off the slot, and there's two receivers over there. So nobody sees Jordan Lewis coming off the slot. Carson doesn't see it. Because I, I think he thinks he's going to be protected. There's no hot read or sight adjustment by any receiver. And Carson gets decked by a simple slot blitz. Now, somebody has to see that. Either the receivers or the quarterback or both have to see that. I mean, it's a it's not like they disguised it really well. They brought him off the slot. Yet there's no answer to it, and Carson gets hit. And so I look at those things and I go, that's coaching. That's You know, that's where Doug needs to be better. Like, why doesn't anybody see that? And why isn't there an answer to a basic slot blitz? Like, that can't happen. It can't happen. I see it happening to the Giants, to Daniel Jones up there in New York, and it it can't happen. I mean, we're week eight. That stuff, I mean, what are we practicing and walking through and going to meetings for? The Cowboys aren't a big blitz team, but that's a basic blitz that everybody has. They'll see it in Buffalo this week. So – my problem is not so much the design because I see plays that should work that aren't working. But it's the basic things when teams adjust and and do something different that they're not adjusting well to.
2: That's my so, problem. So last question I'll ask you before we move on from the Eagles because I know we have a lot of Eagles fans listening to this podcast. They're 3 and 4, they're at Buffalo, home versus Chicago, home versus New England, home versus Seattle. So Another really tough stretch coming up off of at Minnesota, at Dallas. I think before the year, both me and you would have agreed this is a playoff team. And we might have even said they're a potential Super Bowl team. Where do you stand right now with the Eagles as you look at both them and the rest of the NFC? Like, Are the Eagles no longer in that discussion for legitimate Super Bowl? They could legitimately represent the NFC in the Super Bowl.
1: Oh, yeah. there's. I mean, they're not a, a Super Bowl representative at all. I mean, they've got too many wow. weaknesses right now, and they don't have answers. You know, I mean, last year when they were struggling, they brought in Cravon LeBlanc. They didn't have a slot corner. Cravon LeBlanc came in and gave him the best slot corner uh, play since Patrick Robinson was there the year before in the Super Bowl run. Um, you know, they they brought guys in to fix some issues last year that really helped. Um, I, I, nothing has been done. There's still time before the, the trade deadline, but nothing has been done. I think this team needs a real injection of speed and, you know, some playmaking ability that, you know, obviously Deshaun Jackson can provide, but I don't know that you can just wait around waiting for Deshaun Jackson to show up and things are going to just instantly get better. I mean, this has been going on since week one. And so the reason why, I mean, I I hear everybody ask the questions over there all the time, you know, like, why, uh, how are you going to start fast? You got to start fast. Well, I mean, you got to execute to start faster. I mean, the Cowboys hadn't forced a fumble in a month And they forced two in the first five and a half minutes of the game. You know, and then they were just careless with the football. I mean, Carson drops a snap. Um, Even when he scrambles, the ball pops out of his hands. He's he's lucky that he's ruled down. And he's just careless. Careless, I mean, they're not playing like a playoff team because playoff teams aren't careless like that. And they have answers to slot blitzes. And so there's still time. There's plenty of time. They were four and six last year. They went on a playoff run. There's always time, you know, but – you know, going to Buffalo this week, which is going to be a real hornet's nest. Um, but, and that team doesn't beat itself. But, you know, they they need a win real bad to stop the bleeding. And then they need a good homestand to get back in the mm-hmm. race. Now, judging by what we saw last Sunday night, that's not going to happen. But, you know, you can quit smoking in a day. You know, things can change in an instant. So it can change. And, the you know, the plane ride, the short hour plane ride home for Buffalo could be really, really good if they go up there and beat a good football team.
2: Yeah, one team, and I I agree. Look, the Eagles, I still think, have enough talent to go on a run. They're not as talented as I thought they were. They have holes all over the defense. Alshon's not looked good. Like, they are not as good as we thought. But I still think they have enough talent to potentially go on a run and maybe maybe win the division. But one team that's proven things can turn around quickly are the Cowboys. I mean, they lose three in a row, and then they absolutely smack the Eagles around on Sunday night. So let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys for a second because – Going into that game, if the Eagles would have somehow won, we're maybe sitting here talking about is there a new head coach in Dallas? I don't know if Jerry would have actually pulled the trigger, but it was probably pretty close. Lincoln Riley's talked about the job, or has been rumored to be into the job. Urban Meyer talked about the job and said what a great job it would potentially be. So there were there was you know some trouble there, but one of the things that impressed me about that game is Dak Prescott. Now, we talked about win-loss record for quarterbacks. I wrote an article this week talking about who in the league has the best winning percentage as a quarterback. And the top five, obviously, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott. Like, that's a rarefied era of quarterbacks right now, and Dak Feisen's name on that list. And it blows my mind that every week, whenever you talk about the Cowboys— you say, well, Dak's kind of the weak link there, right? Like they can run the ball. They have talent on defense. And it's impressed me how they built through the draft. But I think it's time to discuss Dak among the top 10 type quarterbacks in this league. I know he's not a perfect passer. But when you can do what he did on Sunday night in that spot, I really think he's a very underrated quarterback. What do you see from Dak when you look at the X's and O's? Because the Cowboys still have a tough decision. Or I don't think it's a tough one. But they still have an expensive decision to make in regards to re-signing him.
1: Well, the first thing I see is poise. And I've seen poise from the day that he took over for Tony Romo. And he plays with it. Um, He doesn't get rattled. Um, And he played with backup tackles, you know, prior week, and things weren't real good. Um, But I see a guy that plays with poise, and he conducts himself professionally. And he has a lot of fun out there. He has a lot of fun playing the game. A lot of joy in Dak. He's a natural natural leader. Um, he, He commands respect just naturally. I mean, it's just very easy to see that. And so those are the things I see. Um, We can't really measure Dak until you get to the postseason because that's how we measure quarterbacks, whether it's Rodgers or Breeze or Brady or what we did with Peyton Manning before he went on any playoff runs. We measure these guys in the postseason. And so they won a playoff game last year, did not play well against the Rams in a loss, didn't do very many things well. So, I, you know... Look, I think Dak is going to win his share of games, like he is. He's going to continue to win, but he's going to get measured in January. And if you're in Dallas and there's Roger Staubach and there's Troy Aikman, I mean, those are the guys you're going to get compared to. Romo did, and it was fair. You know, it was a fair comparison, and he came up short in a lot of playoff games, um, but he won a lot of games, just the way Dak is. And he—that's the fair comparison right now. He looks a lot like what Tony Romo is. Romo was the same way. He was very, uh, very uh, charismatic, natural leader. Took the profession very seriously. uh, Was a solid pro. But you know, in Dallas, you're going to be measured against Staubach and Aikman, and that's fair, especially in that town, because they know what great quarterback play looks like, especially in the postseason.
2: Yeah, and the good news for Dak is unlike Carson, he's had playoff experience. I mean, he won a game last year. I believe he's been in three playoff games now, so he has that experience coming into this year. Outside of Dak, what do you see from the Cowboys? Because to me, on Sunday night, one of the biggest things I noticed was just the talent differential between those two teams. I mean, the difference was was out of control. The Cowboys have you know great linebackers. They have Demarcus Lawrence as a pass rusher. Secondary uh, is good, I think. Not not as good as maybe their their front seven, but but good. And then they have Amari Cooper, who's not even 100% yet. So when you look at the Cowboys, are they the favorite to win the NFC East? And you said you mentioned the Eagles. Maybe they get in, maybe they don't. But you don't view them as a legitimate contender. I think the Cowboys can be a legitimate-type contender in the NFC. What about you?
1: Well, I mean, the one thing the Cowboys have over the Eagles is just youth and speed. Like, yeah. they're built through the draft. And so when you see them, you see, I don't, you know, I don't care if it's, Chido or if it's Jalen Smith or Leighton Vanderus, they've got speed. Um, you know, and it's it's everywhere. And so that's the difference. They have a big-time running back that can do everything really, really well with a young rookie that's going to be a good player that is understands his role. And they've got speed. The Eagles don't. The Eagles are older and slower, and a lot of things that they've done have backfired on them. And so – that's where they're at right now. They're corners, um, you know, they're going to get double moved every week. Amari Cooper did it last week uh, for 44 yards. They're going to get double moved every week until they stop it. And when they have their starting tackles in the game, they're better at protecting Dak for those kind of plays to develop down the field. And they've got better playmakers. I mean, you know, they've been playing without Amari and without Randall Cobb, but those guys are difference makers. And so they're, they're better talent-wise right now. Um, than the Eagles are.
2: So I want to stick in the NFC, but before we do, I want to tell all of our loyal and great prevent defense listeners that CBS all access is still available. And it's really something everybody should be doing every Sunday. You can watch your local CBS game live with CBS all access. You can catch the games at home or on the go across all your favorite devices. And it's really easy to sign up. You just go to cbs.com slash insider. You get a free one week trial of CBS All Access. So if you want to be like Baldy and watch every snap of every game, you got to get CBS All Access. So let's stick in the NFC. The New Orleans Saints are still a cut above everybody else, in my opinion. You can say them or the 49ers. I would still give it to the Saints. And they go out and they smack the Bears around in an incredibly impressive performance. I mean, I think they were either underdogs or was very close going into that, and they end up just completely annihilating. It wasn't even close. They made the Bears look like they're the Bengals or, or, you know, the Dolphins or something. So, but the interesting thing is Drew Brees might be back. So let me ask you first, what did you see from the Saints last week? And then I think we should have a discussion about how quickly Drew Brees should come back because there's not really a huge need for him at this point.
1: No, especially since they, you know, they, they play Arizona this weekend at home and then they have a bye and then they're home to the Atlanta Falcons. So, you know, Drew's coming back from, you know, whatever a dislocated thumb. I mean, he's got a a fractured thumb. Uh, I don't think there's any rush. I mean, the Saints are five and zero without him. They have proven, and they played up in Chicago last week without Alvin Kamara. The first time in three years they played without Kamara, and you know, I mean, they they played an um, unbelievable game all around. But what I see from the team is just a complete team. I see yeah. everybody. They've got a great. They've got some great players on defense. I mean, Cam Jordan is as good a defensive end as they're in football. Marshawn Lattimore, Stephon Gilmore, as good as at what they do, as any corners in the league. Um, you know, they, their linebacking core is four deep. Um, their defensive tackles don't get moved off the line. I mean, the Bears ran the ball seven times. They dropped back fifty-six times. It wasn't a fair fight, but they they from the day that they went to Seattle without Drew Brees and they beat the Seattle Seahawks in the rain and Kamara and Michael Thomas, who nobody could cover in this business, um, were dominant. And so, but they've, their offensive line is as good as there is in football. And they just have strengths and they just find different ways to accent those strengths. Even the week before in Jacksonville, when they only scored 13 points and, you know, Teddy Bridgewater threw the only touchdown pass to to Jared Cook of the day. Uh, The defense kept the score down to, you know, two field goals. They are a complete team. And, I know this has been written about and it's been surmised, but I think it's true that losing Drew Brees probably is the best thing that could have happened to this team because Mm -hmm. everything else had to really pick up, including the head coach and the defense coordinator, Dennis Allen. They had to become better at game planning and working around it and getting Teddy comfortable, and they've done all those things. Teddy Bridgewater is not Drew Brees, and they didn't try to make him Drew Brees. The offense, though, was very – Structured, systematic, and Teddy played very well within the confines of what they asked him to do. And I think everybody in New Orleans is better. And I think this is the best team they've had. They've they've been bounced to the playoffs in odd ways two years in a row. But this to me is the best team in all of football.
2: Yeah, and the interesting thing about the Saints is for so many years you look at them and you say, Okay, they're they're all offense. Or last year the defense picked up and, and improved as the year went on for sure. But this is probably maybe the best team Sean Payton and Drew Brees have ever had, just in terms of being a complete team. Obviously, they, they won the Super Bowl one year, so they, they've been on some very good teams. But I just think in terms of a complete team, and you're right, I mean, it's not often you would say Drew Brees go down, goes down, that's the best thing to happen to a team. But now when he comes back, you look at them and you say, they can, just, they can win so many ways. I mean, even if the defense struggles one day, now with Drew Brees, you feel a little more confident that if you need to get into the high 30s, you can do it consistently. Mm-hmm. Or at least you maybe trust him not to make a back-breaking mistake. I think Teddy Bridgewater has played really well, and I think he's probably carved a niche out there as being a long-term backup if he wants to, or maybe the eventual repl- uh, replacement for Drew Brees. Who knows? So he certainly helped himself. It's not an anti-Teddy Bridgewater take, but you do feel better with Drew Brees in there. That's just a fact. So... This week, they play Arizona. Uh, Then they have a bye week. Then they're versus Atlanta at Tampa Bay. And then they go uh, home again towards Carolina. So some very winnable games. I wouldn't rush him back out there. Like, Drew Brees is not Carson Wentz or Dak Prescott. I mean, he doesn't need these reps. I mean, you want him to be feeling good going into the playoffs. But I would not rush Drew Brees back out there. I would probably sit him versus Arizona, give him the bye week, and I'd bring him back at home versus Atlanta.
1: Yeah, but I, you're right. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I don't think they have to rush him back. I know what Drew Brees is. I mean, he wants to be out there. And he's missed it. And if he's healthy, then, then you know, and, and the thumb is completely healed, then then play him. I know this. The Saints do not want to let the chance for the number 1 seed to slip away. Now, I know they lost last year to the Rams. We know how that thing went down, but they want to be back in their building. And every team does. The yep. Eagles did. Every team wants that home field advantage. It's worth fighting for. It's worth going out there and fighting for 13 or 14 wins this year uh, or 12, whatever it takes to be that number one seed. It's going to be a huge advantage if the Minnesota Vikings or the Green Bay Packers or the Cowboys or the Eagles or whoever has to go there um, and play a game. You, you were there last year. I was there when the Eagles went there. Uh, even though the Eagles jumped on them early, I mean, that that building came alive and it was difficult. And I played in that building in playoff games. It's, It's very, very tough and home field doesn't guarantee you anything, but it's a whole lot easier to go stay at home with that fan base than to go into Lambeau Field or to go into San Francisco, wherever you might have to go this year to play a championship level game.
2: Yeah, I think at New Orleans is the toughest game in the NFL right now. I mean, going into New England is certainly not easy, but man, you said it. You were at that game. I was at both the Saints games last year. There's, it's just different there. The noise, the le- like the pressure that the fans put on the team. I mean, you can really get get swallowed up quickly there if you're a bad team. So I agree. They want to get that number one seed. I just think they can get it anyway, even with Teddy Bridgewater. I think they beat Arizona. They beat Atlanta. They beat Tampa Bay. And then Carolina gets a little more difficult. But yeah, look, you put Drew, B- Drew Brees back in when he's healthy. We agree with that. But another team, speaking of home field advantage, I was just in Minnesota two weeks ago. The Vikings have looked awesome these last three weeks. And you mentioned how slow the Eagles look. The Vikings, when I watch those skill set, skill players, like those are skill players. Like Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, like they make plays and they are so quick. Like they can change the game in a second. But the difference has really been Kirk Cousins over these last three weeks. He's got 10 touchdowns to one interception, almost 1,000 yards in the three games, and of course they're 3-0. and Kirk Cousins, dead even career record at 500, even has two ties. So he's been the definition of 500. But you can see that when he's on, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I mean, he can make all the throws when he gets hot. he, he, He has that confidence about him. I mean, he picked the Eagles apart. And then last week against a really good Lions team, played well. What do you think has changed with Kirk Cousins? Because it wasn't too long ago his receivers and him were fighting publicly about how poor the passing game was going.
1: Well, I was there in New York when it turned around, and I talked to Kevin Stefanski, the offensive coordinator. And I think people have to understand this. This is not Gary Kubiak's offense. Gary Kubiak's son coaches there and was on the staff, and they invited him as a consultant. It's Kevin Stefanski's offense. And so mm-hmm. what Kevin did was he goes, look, we, you know, play action is, is the quarterback's best friend on early downs. He's under center a lot, especially first and second down. Almost every first and second down he's under center. Now, they have the league's leading rusher in Dalvin Cook. He might run away with the title this year, to be honest with you. He is so explosive right now. I I think he's better than at any point coming out of Florida State, not even close. And the offensive line is much better. Both tight ends, both Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, uh, are really good blockers. They all fit in it. But it is their play-action game right now that is getting Kirk Cousins uh, out of the pocket with all kinds of... Uh, room to make the throws a lot like he did in Washington with Jay Gruden and it looks a lot like what Jay did in Washington but with much better talent than at any point in Washington maybe the offensive line in Washington was a little bit better but better talent uh, certainly at the skill positions that he ever had and so Stephon Diggs is one of the great route runners along with Adam Thielen um, they constantly beat good corners in Detroit last week and you know the tight ends. You can't uh, sleep on either one of them. Both of them are really good receivers. They've got a they've got an elite receiving core. And right now, Kirk Cousins off play action is making unbelievable throws, and he has a great time. the The question is going to become, like when they lost to Chicago and this, everything went Harry Carey there. The Bill uh, the Bears didn't give him an inch to run, and they mm-hmm. got shut down. And the play action thing kind of went away. And you know there were a lot of holding calls. They got backed up, and. They're in second and third and long, and all of a sudden there wasn't play action. And Kirk Cousins from a dirty pocket wasn't very good. You give him a clean pocket on these play action passes right now, um, he is he's very, very good. And that's where he's most comfortable at. And it allows these routes to get down the field and get deep and let these guys work their one-on-one ability to beat coverage. And that what is simply what has happened over the last three weeks.
2: And that's an interesting thing about the Vikings because on one hand I'm like, Elliot, don't be an idiot. Don't pick Kirk Cousins to win a big game, right? Like, this, he's never done it. He's He continually struggles unless he's playing Chip Kelly in December in Philadelphia. He's, he never wins big games. We saw him lose to the Bears last year at home to, to ruin a playoff spot. But on the other hand, when I look at the NFC, I say, okay, the, Sa- the Saints are cut above. But if the Vikings are playing their best football, would I pick them to go into San Francisco and beat the 49ers? Like, I might. I mean, the Vikings have an elite defense. They have elite skill position players. Offensive line has improved a little bit. Obviously, you have some young players on there. So the more they play, the better they'll get. And I think Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Garoppolo. So the NFC is so wide open right now that you could even really talk yourself into a team like the Vikings making it all the way to the NFC title game where they would probably have to go into New Orleans. Uh, Just real quick, I mean, the Vikings, where would you put them on on your NFC hierarchy right now?
1: Well, I, I, right now I'd put the, the Saints and the 49ers above them. I might put okay. the Packers above them. The Packers beat them I think earlier. I would
2: too. Yeah, I would too.
1: Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, it's the, the offense is just kind of funny to me. Uh, I mean, it, it. if Aaron doesn't like his one-on-one matchup with whoever it is, he's going to hold the ball, he's going to dance, he's going to buy time, he's going to wait till somebody uncovers. I mean, there is some Matt LaFleur with – personnel groupings and matchups that you can see. I saw it on the goal line against uh, the Oakland Raiders last week. Um, But it's still Aaron's team. There's not a lot of pre-snap motion. It's kind of Aaron just being Aaron. And they're doing it without Devontae Adams, who is an elite player. So that's a good thing. You know, Alan Lazard's getting time. And, you know, all all these other guys are kind of learning the offense. So that's that's a good thing. And the offense line has played real well. So, and Aaron Jones is becoming an elite back. I mean he's really really good. So I think the Packers they defensively there's you know the Raiders kind of blew a lot of chances but they still are a a defense that can give you problems. So but I like the 49ers. I like what they've done defensively. They're going to get a good test from from Carolina this weekend, but they'll probably take care of business and get to 7 and 0. And so, you know, I mean you can't take them out of the mix, but you can see five teams right now. The Vikings and the Packers and The 49ers and Seattle, six teams. And, you know, I mean, I can see in in the Rams might, you know, sort of come out of the shadows here a little bit. So there's seven or eight teams right now at the midway point that all could challenge New Orleans, you know,
2: for supremacy. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that order. I would go Saints, 49ers, uh, Packers, maybe, maybe switch Packers and Vikings for me, but it's very close. And then I think uh, Vikings and Panthers. That's where I am right now. Rams, Cowboys. Seattle's up there. Seattle, In lost Seattle a tough game. Seattle. Yeah, yeah, Seattle did lose a tough game. Right. I mean, great game from Lamar Jackson for sure. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about some of these games on the schedule this week. But before yeah. I do, let's talk about ZipRecruiter. Because Baldy, as you know, as you've learned on this podcast every week, hiring can be a challenge. And Codable co founder, Gretchen Huebner discovered that as well. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. And that's why, of course, Baldy, she went to ZipRecruiter. Because ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast with ZipRecruiter. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how she found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within just the first day. And you can see why ZipRecruiter is so effective for businesses of all sizes when you try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com ziprecruiter.com/enter, enter. That's ziprecruiter.com enter, E-N-T-E-R, ziprecruiter.com enter, ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire in Baldy. After, I thought, a bit of a lackluster slate of games last week, we ended up getting some better ones than we expected. But in terms of matchups, not as great last week. Got a lot of really good ones coming up. Uh, You just mentioned the Panthers. Panthers going to the 49ers this week. Cam Newton's been practicing, but it looks like, once again, he will not be starting. What do you see from the Panthers? What do you see from this matchup? What are some keys for the Panthers to go in San Francisco and hand the 49ers their first loss?
1: Well, you know, they won four in a row with Kyle Allen. He's 5-0 and as a starter now, playing week 17 last year. And yep. you go, okay, like how, how how are they doing this? So you go back and you watch the last game against uh, Tampa two weeks ago. I mean, Tampa, if you look at the stats right now, Elliot, I know you do, but they're number one across the board is stopping the run. And Christian McCaffrey ran 22 times for 31 yards. The league's leading rusher averaged less than one and a half yards a carry. They completely shut him down. So Kyle Allen had to make some big-time throws in that game in order to win that game. And if you watch him, they have a player named Chris Manhurts. And Chris Manhurts is an interesting guy. He never played football in his life. He played basketball at Canisius up in Buffalo. and mm-hmm. never played high school football, never played college football. <clears throat> um, may You know, went to New Orleans to try out, all this kind of stuff. So anyway, he's been in Carolina. And North Turner has taken him. And he's the personal protector of Kyle Allen. So, you know, they are playing Tampa last week, and they got a great pass rusher in Shaquille Barrett leading the league in sacks. And he basically looks like a basketball player cutting off the baseline. I mean, he just shuffles and slides to wherever the leak is. And then he uses a 6'6", 255-pound body with long arms to kind of just get in the way and shield guys. And he's the personal protector. And on a day where they had to go down the field to DJ Moore, and to Curtis Samuel and to Greg Olson, he allowed Kyle Allen time to go do it. And it's really smart. Now, they get four guys out instead of five out, but Kyle Allen is protected. Backside, yeah. front side, Took very few hits in that game. And I think it's his role. He keeps expanding. He played 36 plays last week out of the 66. But I think when they go to San Francisco, obviously, with all the sharks that they have in that 49er defensive line, they dressed eight last week. Elliott, eight defensive linemen against the Redskins—they all made plays, including the third-team defensive tackle Julian Taylor, recovered a fumble. But I mean, everybody made made plays. Uh, Nick Bosa is, is the ringleader, but this Chris Manholz is going to have a real important role. Sunday in San Francisco, warding off some of those pass rushers—Buckner, Boza, you know, mm-hmm. Ford, whoever it is, Armstead—and I think that's going to be a big part of the game plan for uh, for. Carolina this week and I give them a fighting chance because of the way that they're balanced. Um, I will say this Tampa did a great job of taking McCaffrey out, but he's yes. going back home. He's going back to where he played at Palo Alto. He's circled this game for a long time. They're undefeated. They've had two weeks to get ready. That means McCaffrey's actually rested and he doesn't like to be rested. He wants the ball every single play. So this is going to be a good game. It's going to be a great test. I think for the 49ers, this is not going to be a blowout win. Um, you know, when you look at what Kyle Shanahan does uh, offensively, he's very creative. You give him a guy 30 minutes to put a game plan together, it could be amongst the league's best in 30 minutes. But on the other side, Luke Keekley, you know, has been studying this game tape for two weeks. I mean, he's going to know tendencies. They're without two starting tackles. They're without their fullback. They've cobbled those positions together. And I think they're going to struggle against Carolina's defense.
2: Yeah, so the 49ers make a big trade this week. They bring in Emmanuel Sanders. I love the move for two reasons. One, I love when teams show that they're going for it. The 49ers maybe four weeks ago, five weeks ago, don't make this trade. But now they look and they say, we're undefeated. We have a chance. I mean, look, they're ahead of the Saints right now. I don't know if they'll be able to stick with it, but they're ahead of them right now. You're talking about maybe hosting the championship game of the NFC at your own building. So you go out, you bring in Emmanuel Sanders one of the only weaknesses on the 49ers was receiver. I mean, they have speed there, but they didn't have a guy like Emmanuel Sanders who can play outside and inside. That's dependable. That can be a game-breaker while also being a possession receiver. And one of the things you hear out of Denver is how much he helped those younger guys and how much of a veteran leader he is. So you both get him on the field and off the field. And like you mentioned, you put him in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Very excited to see what he can do last week playing in FedEx against the four uh the uh, Washington, hard to really do anything there. I mean, they were basically playing in a pool of mud. But yeah. how do you think Emmanuel Sanders impacts his 49ers offense? And I'm guessing I'm guessing you like the trade.
1: I love the trade. And you know, I, I thought maybe they'd make a phone call to Cincinnati just to see, you know, what AJ Green's status is and you know I hey, thought they'd make They
2: still, make could. A call. They still could. could.
1: Um you know, I mean that's really what's going on right now. I mean, good teams are rating bad teams of good players. I mean, that's always been going on in the league. Some of these teams that are really bad right now are basically a farm system for the really good teams that want to get better. Um, about the same time that trade went on a former player of Kyle Shanahan who played with them in both Cleveland and Atlanta texted me and said, man, that's a great deal. And Taylor Gabriel, it's not a secret. I mean, Taylor Gabriel is a big fan of Baldy's breakdowns. So he's a good player. But Kyle loved Taylor Gabriel. He loved his speed. And he's a very similar player to Emmanuel Sanders. Um, Emmanuel Sanders is a great kid. Great kid. I call him a kid because I I still think he's really young, although he's (laughs) tense. But, I mean, he he is a great player. He's got great suddenness and quickness. Um, He will fit right in. And, Kyle, you take a guy like that, like Taylor Gabriel – um, those guys flourish because they're going to get opportunities to really work their craft. He's a great route runner, but you need time to kind of sell guys on routes and off the play action that Kyle Shanahan does. It allows receivers to really develop. And I think if you look at that room, like to your point, Elliot, which is a great point. When you look at Debo Samuel and you look at Dante Pettis, you look at young receivers, they have no mentor in that wide receiver room, none. And so you get a guy like Emmanuel Sanders who was a mid-round pick, became a Pro Bowl player, an elite player in this league in both Pittsburgh and, and in Denver. Um, that is really going to benefit all those young guys there. But he's going to step in. If you now look at the, the talent that they have between you know Matt Breida at running back and anybody else, Devin Coleman, you look at George Kittle at tight end and Emmanuel Sanders now at wide receiver, they're going to get their tackles both back at some point. Um, all of a sudden, you look at the talent around Garoppolo, And it gets a whole lot better. And I don't want to take anything away from Marquise Goodwin. But, you know, I mean, he just hasn't really flourished yet.
2: I also just think, like, let's picture this team, you know, second round of the playoffs at home, close game against the Packers. Garoppolo has the ball. Packers have a good defense. If Before they made this trade, the Packers are saying, let's take away Kittle and make another receiver beat us. Let's make another receiver make a tough catch. Now it's tougher because you you have to think about Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle, and it just becomes tougher for defense to game plan for you. It makes Garoppolo's life a little easier. So I love the trade. So Panthers have 49ers. I'm going to pick the 49ers in this one. As much as Kyle Allen's been playing well, it's tough to see him being super productive against that defense. Real quick before we move to the next game, who are you picking in this one?
1: I'm, I'm gonna take San Francisco. I mean, I think that they're they're ready for this. I mean, they they've got enough veterans there. It was a great pickup of Quan Alexander and free agency. Him and Freddie yeah. Warner, nice nice duo. I mean, they're they're playing good all around football. So I'm not gonna go against the 49ers in the
2: game. All right. So the next game we have a we have somewhat of a guarantee by Browns wide receiver Jarvis Landry. Landry, he said they're gonna go there and they're gonna win. He's tried to back off it already, but. Guarantee or not, this is a game the Browns desperately do need to win, coming off of two straight losses. Obviously, are have not lived up to the hype already, but as long as they get in the playoffs, people in Cleveland will be very happy. But going to New England against undefeated Patriots who just smacked the Jets around a little bit uh, on, um, I guess that was yeah last week on primetime, Monday, Monday night. Browns at Patriots. Do the Browns have any shot at all? I don't think so. And, yeah. you know,
1: the thing that about the Patriots, Elliot, to me, and I just did this breakdown on total access for the NFL, but they, I think they honestly used the regular season to just get themselves ready for the postseason. I mean, the def- they, they played both New York teams back-to-back weeks. They played the Giants, and they played the Jets back-to-back weeks. And they played completely different defenses in both games. Against the Jets, they played zero coverage. They didn't play any safeties in the middle of the field. They either up the line of scrimmage, dropping... But, you know, you saw what happened to Sam Darnold. The week before against Daniel Jones, that's not the defense they played. And, you know, Baker's sitting there for two weeks watching all this stuff and studying, and he's not going to see anything that he's seen. It's just yeah. not going to happen. And so you have to be Freddie and, and Baker and Jarvis and Odell. Like, they have got to make adjustments from literally the first quarter because what they're preparing for and the game plan they're putting together – probably won't work against what the Patriots are going to do. So they have six linebackers in, I mean, I could go through the whole list of them, Hightower or Collins or Van Noy or Winovich, all the names. And they're so flexible in what they do. Um, And so you look at them and you go, man, I mean, nobody has really figured it out yet. I mean, they're on pace right now to be the best defense ever. Yeah. And, I, I think that they're going to pace Cleveland. Now, the, the only thing that can hold them back is offensively, they're not very explosive. They made the move for Muhammad Sanu. Um, Bill loves Rutgers guys. I mean, he tried to get him a long time ago. His son played with Muhammad at, at uh, Rutgers. They, they tried to get him the offseason. They couldn't get him. They're getting him now. I don't know how ready he's going to be. Josh Gordon is on the shelf. <clears throat> they need a, a real good player opposite of Julian Edelman, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I won't be surprised if they make a move for an offensive tackle here in the next week. Uh, 'cause they really need one or the next five days, whatever the trading deadline is, Elliot. But I, I think they'll make a move there to kind of upgrade that. But, you know, right now, defensively, I mean I, I I think the way that the Browns have played all year, they have not only aren't they very consistent in anything that they do, they they break down with what they do, whether it's protection or just holding or penalties. I mean they just have a uh, turn the ball over like you can't make any mistakes against the patriots you can't have holding calls would be first to 20 against that defense you can't mm-hmm. turn the ball over against that defense i mean they have how many interceptions Elliot? they have 14 15 interceptions i mean you know and baker's been throwing them in bunches so like you make a mistake against that defense stephon gilmore will line up everywhere odell beckham goes i mean he's already you already know that gilmore's mm-hmm. going with beckham So, you know, Jarvis Landry is going to get the other corner. And look, Jackson or, you know, whoever's playing over there, you got to win there. But, you know, outside of their ability to run the ball, maybe, you know, pretty well, maybe they could do that against the Patriots. I can't see that offensive line piercing this uh, Patriots defensive front right now very much. I mean, I think the Patriots at home here will be more ready for this game because I think they love when teams make a lot of noise. About oh, nonsense sure. out there. They don't make any. I mean, I think they pride themselves. You saw Belichick the other night, Elliot, you know, just make Adam Gates look silly when he ran a minute and a half off the clock because he didn't want to punt the ball, you know, and he just wanted the mm. clock to run. And there's a loophole in, you know, there's a loophole that if you decline the penalty, the clock continues to run. And the Jets didn't understand that. But Bill did. And he said, look, it's a loophole and they'll probably change it now were aware of it and he ran a minute. They just wanted to shrink the game. Like you're just you're not gonna beat that guy with inconsistent football and a football team that makes a lot of mistakes.
2: Yeah and I also I, I think it's really interesting how here in Philadelphia there was just a lot of debate about bulletin board material because Doug's kind of guaranteed they would beat the Cowboys and people were like, oh well that doesn't matter. You know, people don't care about bulletin board material. Bill Belichick loves using bulletin board material, though. Like, maybe more than any other coach, he loves to use that stuff on Saturday night. I still remember when the Eagles were going to play the Patriots in Super Bowl, and he said, just so you know, Philadelphia – well, this was the first time, not the last time. Philadelphia already has their Super Bowl parade planned. So, like, don't tell me bulletin board material doesn't matter, because if Belichick thinks it does, then it does. And so for Jarvis Landry, whether he meant it, whether he's trying to walk it back – you know, Belichick is bring up the fact that Jarvis Landry said, we're going to go down there and we're going to win. Right. So mm-hmm. definitely a mistake on his part. And, and I, I agree. I think that the Browns have absolutely no shot. Uh, I think the Patriots have a pretty good chance to go 16 and zero this year, which would be wild on Belichick's already incredible resume. Last one. I want to talk to you about speaking of wild Patrick Mahomes practicing this week and could play against the Packers this Sunday night. Um, Dislocated his kneecap. I remember I wasn't watching the game, but I saw on Twitter everyone's going wild. I turned it on, and you think maybe he's out for the year? The way they were reacting to that, he could maybe not even miss a practice. I mean, he hasn't missed one yet. He he was the number two quarterback in practice today, according to reports out of Kansas City. Packers are a very good team, though. Like the Bengals aren't coming in there, so I don't. We'll see how cautious the Chiefs are. Um, obviously, we know without Patrick Mahomes, that's a huge impact on their on their offense, without question. But if Matt Moore does have to start, do the Chiefs have a chance to beat the Packers?
1: They they have a chance. They have a chance. Uh, you know, Matt Moore threw a touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill when Mahomes got hurt against Denver. And he was out of football last year. You talk about, you know, a guy that's just been resilient. He's been basically a career journeyman, backup player, Carolina, Miami. He's bounced around. And he's he's won games. I like Matt Moore. He's got a lot of talent around him. So, you know, he's got to be cautious about trying to do too much and trying to – you can't run Patrick Mahomes' offense. You can't, you know, extend plays the way Mahomes does and make the throws down the field. you got to play within yourself. I just think that Kansas City's defense is just very average. And uh, Houston showed that the week before when they ran all against them. And I think what Aaron Jones is doing right now and the way that Green Bay has pretty good balance, um, I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers will – know exactly who he wants to attack in this game and how they want to attack it. I like Green Bay to go in there. I mean, Kansas City's already lost two games at home this year. I don't see why this can't be a third game with or without Patrick Mahomes this week.
2: Yeah, and I was going to say, as good as Patrick Mahomes is, like, they did lose the two games prior to him him going out. So they are a beatable team, and I think the Packers are really good. The Packers' defense, maybe not as elite or at high level as we thought – Going into the to the first few weeks, but I still think they're one. They're way better than the Chiefs' defense. So the the Packers will have the off the advantage there, maybe on offense and defense. Definitely if Matt Moore plays, but even if Patrick Mahomes does, the uh, Chiefs' offense has struggled somewhat over the last few weeks. So lots of good games week eight, and of course we'll be talking about them next week on the Prevent Defense Podcast. Baldy, as always, thank you for breaking it down for us, giving us all those X's and O's breakdown we need, and I will catch you next week.
1: Thanks, Ellie. Always a good job, man. Talk to you.